So what you want to do is you want to look at your prep procedures. You want to look at, um, you know, end of night waste because maybe your par levels were too high. Uh, and then you also want to just check out and see like, are these chicken strips like leaving the line because people are snacking on them? Like you never want to go to the theft mindset, but you know, you have to kind of look at each of the different elements that could potentially make up that variance. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Leadership Podcast. Today we welcome Derek Smith onto the podcast and we're talking all about the metrics that we use to operate our business and how we can use them and use them in a way that benefits the business. Now I know a lot of people out there can, you're probably in your restaurant or your hotel or your coffee shop, whatever business you operate, it's highly likely you've got data, information there that you're not using to its fullest potential. And it's about how we can explore how you as a leader or your people as the leader or the managers of your business can change what you do to benefit the operation of the business. That is ultimately what we're looking to do Whatever it is, whether it's leadership development, whether it's inventory management, whether it's a menu, new menu, it's all about enhancing your business. So this is my chat with Derek Smith of Canopy Metrics. So very quickly, before we get started, I want to let you know about our leadership launch pad, which is a four week boot camp start on the 1st of November, which is all about getting your leaders in a position to lead your business through this really busy holiday period. In the past, you've probably gone through and survived through the holiday period all the way from November through to January. But this year, you need to do something differently. What this is, is in four weeks, you will have people who know what true leadership is. They know how to build relationships, build connection with people. They can set goals, but they can also help mentor the next generation of people coming through. Ultimately, this is about creating a great business for you as an owner, as a manager, and taking the pressure from you onto the people who are capable of doing the work in your business the added benefit as well is if you treat these people right you know your seasonal workers that you're bringing in you could keep them longer term and especially with us struggling for labor right now that is only a good thing head over to the cafehustle.com forward slash launch pad to sign up and enroll in the leadership launch pad boot camp right now and if you do so before the 29th of october you get a 90 minute free one-on-one coaching session with me where we can consolidate and allow you to clarify your leadership journey for the future that's the cafehustle.com forward slash launchpad right now it's only 247 pounds for four weeks of really intensive really beneficial leadership skills that will lead your business into the future so derek count p metrics how are you doing all right i'm doing really good how are you doing any yeah really good so today we're going to be talking about data and, and metrics that can help people certainly run their restaurants better but i did actually want to start off our conversation and and really find out what it was about hospitality that drew you into the industry and, and why you serve hospitality as an industry? 
Yeah, you know, it's an interesting story for me. Um, when I was in college, I started out the first two years working in a fish shop, you know, uh, filleting fish for customers. And I thought, well, this isn't really what I want to do while I, you know, finish off, uh, you know, college. So um, a friend of mine was working in, uh, a, you know, a really nice restaurant group uh, here in, in Canada and uh, told me to apply and I applied and it was everything that I wanted it to be you know the industry kind of whole, like grabbed certain people right other people maybe can't handle it but I loved every second of it um, worked as a server through college and um, ended up getting an opportunity a little bit later in my career to come back into the industry as an analyst and uh, that's where I've been yeah for about the last 12 to 15 years. What have you learned in that time in the hospitality industry what is that what's kept you in the industry? You know, when I first started serving, um, we were still using uh, pads of paper. You know, there were still chit rails in the kitchen. Um, and now when I, you know, you fast forward and, and now the technology that's available to restaurants is, is very interesting, right? Like iPads at the table, uh, kitchen display systems in the kitchen. Um, so I, I don't know, I just find, like, I think the reason why I stuck around in the hospitality business and, and wanted to come back to it after I'd left it for a couple of years um, was because of uh, this, like, constant kind of uh, advancement, I guess, in the industry, right? It's like one of the only industries where I look at it and say, there's so much potential here. You know, there's so many cool things that are happening. Um, it's very dynamic and it, it's exciting. I don't know. I just, I, I don't think I've worked in another industry where it's as exciting as the hospitality business and it continues to be exciting. There's more technology coming out every day. So yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's why I've stuck around. But even, even just from a general point of view, it's, it, it's such a rewarding industry to be in, especially when, and, and you'll know when you are able to help people and, and you as a business are, are providing hospitality to your clients when you're able to help people like that, it's there's just something about it, isn't there? And I know you can get that in any industry, but the hospitality in, industry in particular is, I don't know, there's just something about, you know, helping people in this industry that makes it so much more worthwhile. And that's, that's in my opinion, and no doubt you probably find the same. Yeah, I think one aspect of that is the fact that a lot of us grew up in the industry, right? And we grew up waiting tables or working in kitchens and you, you learn something about other people and how to communicate and how to be professional and, um, you know, how to uh, get through conflict really easily. So I think that's the part I like the most about working with um, the clients that I work with is, you know, they, they come from the industry, they know how to speak to people, they're very professional uh, but still fun, right? I mean, that's the thing with the hospitality business. It's still fun. You know, we we grew up in an industry where all of us would have beers at the end of our shift until, you know, two or three in the morning, right? It's it's just like everybody's lived that lifestyle. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. So let's turn turn the conversation towards data then. <laughs> Good segue. What, <laughs> yeah, what, how helpful can data be for people in the industry? What is... What's one area do you think is, is overlooked that maybe generally people aren't looking at as, as a really important, you know, metric to measure? Yeah, I think to answer the first part of that question, like data is in incredibly helpful uh, and incredibly important. Um, it's also, you know, the least fun part of our business. We were just talking about, you know, having beers after work and how fun it is and all of this. Well, data doesn't really 
jive with that, you know, a lot of the personalities in the hospitality business, which is why I think that, you know, the hospitality business is, is at the near the bottom of the list as far as, um, you know, uh, technology utilization and data utilization mm -hmm. when you compare it to other industries, right? So when I think about the impact that data's had on other industries, you know, that mining comes to, to mine or healthcare, it's had a tremendous impact, like unfathomable how much more money has been saved and made by using data. And I think the same can be true in the hospitality business. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of impediments there. And one of the biggest ones is just people's desire to use data. And just to answer the second part of your question, when it comes to specific pieces of information or data that people rarely use, I, I would say the biggest one is uh, uh, food cost variance. You know, uh, most operators, when you talk to them and you ask them what data they use, they say, oh, we've got fantastic data when it comes to revenue covers and uh, average check. Um, yeah, that's great. But also you have a whole other side of your income statement, which is the cost component. And yeah, food cost variance is just like the amount of money that you can save by analyzing how much wasted food you have um, is pretty incredible. You know, I think with one group, we were saving uh, $300,000 a month um, just in food cost variance. So it's, yeah, it's important and, and something people got to get behind. And what is food cost variance? Just go into that a little bit. What is it you're looking for on that one? For sure. So um, there's there's really three components to food cost. There's what um, an item should theoretically cost. Uh, so if you look at like a grilled cheese sandwich, theoretically, maybe it should cost 57 cents. But then when you go through the whole, um, you know, building the grilled cheese sandwich, you know, there's a little bit too much butter that was used, a piece of cheese fell on the floor, uh, whatever it might be, right? You actually get a cost of, let's say, uh, you know, a dollar, right? So that 43 cent gap is what we would consider to be the variance. It's the variance between what you should have spent and what you actually spent. Technology is so good in that space now uh, when it comes to like margin edge, market man, uh, optimum control, uh, where they can tell you your variance by ingredient item. So it could say you used four more pounds of avocados than you should have. So it's, it's pretty impressive, you know, how detailed you can get in that regard. In terms of collecting that data, then how does that how does that work from an operational point of view? And, and what are the challenges around that for, for an operator? It's a good question. It, it's actually a lot easier, I think, than um, a lot of people anticipate. You know, food cost, for whatever reason, I've worked with a lot of clients now, and that seems to be the one that people do last. Um, but it's it's one that I would recommend doing almost almost first, right? I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of potential to have, um, you know, waste, wasted food or over-portioning or over-prepping, whatever it might be. The, the method to get going there is really, you know, about getting your theoretical costs in place. And what that basically means is just making sure you have a recipe in place for each of the ingredient items or each of the menu items that you're selling. Right. And then attached to that recipe is the actual ingredients from your purveyor. So here in Canada, we have GFS and Cisco. So connecting those items to the recipe, getting a, what it theoretically should cost. And then at the end of the week, when you take your inventory, then you'll have what you actually spent. And the difference between what you should have spent and what you actually spent is the food cost variance. When people are overlooking that, what sort of, are you coming up against challenges, you know, trying to get them to focus on the food cost variance? Is it something that people don't necessarily want to be taken that much notice of? You know what? I think the challenge actually is more so around setting up the system. I think that 
if the like let's say margin edge for instance so um you know you own a restaurant i come in as a uh, you know as a consultant and uh realize that you don't have any food costs in your system right so i say okay andy what we got to do is we got to get you set up with all of your theoretical costs so you know get a monthly subscription to margin edge uh, I'm going to work with your chef. We're going to get all the recipes organized. Uh, we're going to throw it into Margin Edge and then attach it to, um, you know, your, uh, you know, your invoices from your purveyor, right? Um, so very straightforward, but that takes time and that takes a lot of effort. And it's effort that I, in a lot of cases, um, you know, clients that I've worked with are just not prepared to or have the capacity to uh, move forward with, right? It's, it's, um, you know, it might take a month to get all that uh, organized, but then once it's organized, it just becomes maintenance, which is a heck of a lot easier to, to manage at that point. So I, I don't know, for whatever reason, there's just a huge resistance to that initial amount of work. But then once that work is done, then you're ready to roll and you could be saving, you know, 20000 to $100,000 a, a month, right? Um, but, you know, this is the difference between like me knowing what that can do and then working with a client where they don't really know what the outcome is going to be. They just kind of have to trust the process. And we see it as well with leadership and trying to get leaders to to invest that time initially. You know, I've seen, you know, I can countless leaders that want to free up their time, but they don't want to spend the time, you know, to educate and to train and to level up the people below them to be able to do that work, to make it easier for them. And I suppose it's the same mindset shift that needs to happen when we're talking about, you know, that upfront investment of time to, you know, set these systems up. But when you look in the long run, they, you know, certainly with a system like that, you're going to be getting that paid back. That return on that time investment is infinitely scalable. It's very true. And that's a really good analogy. Um, and I, I think what it comes down to is that for the average uh, restaurant owner or operator, um, whether it's, you know, a single unit or multi-unit, like there's, there's hundreds of fires burning. That's just the nature of our business. Right. And, um, you know, for a lot of operators, you know, the, the number one thing is like, Hey, I want to sleep better at night by knowing that our revenue is coming in. Okay. That, you know, we have consistent covers and our average guest check is good. So when they check those boxes from a data standpoint, it's like, okay, I have the minimum amount of information that I need in order to feel better about my business. Right. Um, to get to that next level, though, and to be able to squeeze that lemon even further and, you know, get an additional four, five, six points of profit, um, you know, you really have to lean into the technology that's available to you, both on the labor side and the food cost side. And it, it really just it's kind of one of those things where it's just like you just have to do it. You just have to say, OK, you know what? This is our objective for this quarter um, and we're just going to do it. We're just going to allocate resources and we're just going to do it because, I'll tell you, all the big groups, uh, the groups that have the, you know, the income to scale, um, they are and have always been doing this, right? Food cost analysis, labor cost analysis, manager controllable analysis. It's all part of the process. And the more that we can monitor the data and as much, you know, you spoke about it earlier, how when we talk about data with people in the hospitality industry it's almost like the other end of the scale of this you know at one end we're interacting with people on a personal level creating connections it's almost like two different mindsets you've got to shift out of that people person people please and servant mindset and shift into a logical data focused one 
it can be very, very tricky to do that. In terms of, though, you know, demonstrating with clients that you've worked with, is there any times where there's been a really big, you know, a wake up moment, that light bulb moment that they've been thinking, actually, I should have been tracking this data a lot longer? I would say the best example of that, um, and this is along the same vein with uh, food cost variants. Um, you know, when I started in the industry, I started as a, a purchasing analyst and, uh, you know, my, my whole gig for five years was to analyze food cost and, uh, purchases. Um, and the food cost variants, um, you know, I can't go into obviously too many details with, for, with this whole group, but it wasn't where they wanted it to be. Right. Um, and what happened was, um, when speaking with chefs, you know, hey, why, why is your food cost variance uh, so high? Like, you know, we're, we have a target that's quite a bit lower than this. What's going on? And they would say, oh, well, you know, the way that, that the information is being, um, you know, added up in the back end, like it's not, it's not accurate, right? There's errors all over the place. And I, so I made it my goal. I said, tell you what, my only thing that I'm going to focus on for the next two months is to make sure that the number that you see here is, has zero errors. It's 100% accurate. Okay. And I can walk you through every element of how this number was created. And so we got to a point where we were showing each of the uh, GMs of this uh, multi-unit group. Uh, we would rank them on a list and show them what their food cost variance was. Um, you know, and everybody could see everybody else's food cost variance. And if anybody had any issue, they could call me. And, and we basically got them into a point where they knew that the number they were looking at was 100% accurate. Well, from that point forward, we started seeing that food cost variance drop dramatically because they didn't have a reason or an excuse to, you know, to not follow that number anymore. Right. It was the real value. And we pushed and we pushed and we pushed. And I think we yeah, we were saving hundreds of thousands of dollars a period um, just by doing nothing other than just posting their food cost variances, you know, on a list with all their other GMs and chefs. Right. So it was, it was pretty impressive. You know, I, it, we went from a place where they thought they couldn't save any more money in that space to where we were saving hundreds of thousands of dollars in that space. And what made that so effective, though? Because you say you're just giving them, you know, just posting that data, not doing anything else other than that. How is it so effective then, just by being aware of it, that it's made such a massive difference to the business? Yeah, I, well, definitely taking away any uh, of the excuses as to like why the number was looking the way it was was very helpful, right? Because there was no shield to hide behind at that point. I think all the chefs wanted to do a really good job. They were they were all very, very good, high quality chefs. Um, but if they thought the number was wrong, then it's easy to just say, oh, it's wrong. I'm not going to look, look at it. So when we took that away, it was very helpful. The second piece to that, though, was when you take a number and you put it on a sheet with 30 or 40 or 50 other restaurants and you say, hey, here's your name and here's all of your coworkers' names, you know, and you're in the bottom five of this group, nobody wants to be there, right? So there was a natural competition that we um, initiated, I guess, through just by just reporting it. And we did, literally did nothing other than that. We weren't doing any like in more in-depth analysis. We just had them ranked on a list not even ranked. It wasn't one, two, three, four. It was just like top, bottom. Um, and uh, yeah, it, that on its own managed to reduce the food cost variance because people started looking into it. They really got behind it. They're like, I don't want to be at the bottom. So the message became clear at the stores and they started to action against it. 
it's so effective because we, we used it in in our coffee shop in that we shared our profit and loss every well every month we went through a phase where we were doing it weekly which was uh yeah that was a bit crazy but what my point is just by sharing that with our staff i think we reduced our food our, our cost of goods by i think it was about three percent just by purely wow. giving them that awareness and that they can mm-hmm. see then actually you know we're spending this much on food you know yeah on you know buying in the in the stock they were just more aware of what was going on in the business they were aware of actually how much money are we really making you know a lot of operators hide that from their staff the staff don't really mm-hmm. see what the situation is financially in a business and nine times out of ten they make up their own mind and think that that owners are making millions of pounds when it's never really the reality so i think by sharing something it's just raising that awareness to give people a little bit of a focus isn't it i I totally agree i think um the other element of that which is equally as important is uh when you take a measure, let's say, uh, you know, someone listens to this and, and they decide that, you know, next month they're going to be focusing on food cost variance. Your team has to understand how that number is calculated, right? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I would say that that was one um, component that I, I forgot to mention with that, uh, you know, revised report is that uh, we had a uh, all hands sort of chef meeting where we presented to them exactly how that number was being calculated exactly where it came from like what it's made up of and if it was too high here's three different tactics that you can utilize to try and reduce that number right and i think that's the piece that a lot of people miss in performance measurement is you know hey we're going to show you your revenue but we want it to be you know at i don't know uh 15 grand a day right and yesterday was at 12 right well for an average gm they're going to look at it and be like well where am i going to get three thousand extra dollars from i don't understand how you want me to get to 15 right you know, they might come up with ideas in their mind, but, you know, as you get into some uh, uh, different analytics like labor cost and food cost, you really have to support them with like the tactical initiatives that they can utilize. Right. Um, and it can be very simple, but, um, ha- you know, give them three different tools that they can utilize to, to lower their food cost percentage. And what if you can, what what sort of things would you suggest in that instance? What can people implement in their business to in that, in, in, you know, in that context, reduce the food cost? So I would say that, um, you know, as, as it pertains to food cost variance, I think the number one thing uh, is that if you have your um, food cost software organized correctly, you can each week dive into itemized variants. So you can look at things like iceberg lettuce, right? Uh, some of the big contenders. So iceberg, um, you know, cheese obviously is like a massive one. Uh, chicken strips, you know, like there's a there's a hundred different um, items that tend to be you know higher on the food cost scale. So what I would do is I would take three or four or five items and make those your focus for a week. So take your top five variance items. Let's say it's chicken strips, cheese, da 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 da, right? Um, so you look at them and say we were out thirty five pounds of chicken last week. Um, you know, we sold 30 or we, we use 35 pounds more than we should have. What is that from? So what you want to do is you want to look at your prep procedures. You want to look at, um, you know, end of night waste because maybe your par levels were too high. 
Uh, and then you also want to just check out and see like, are these chicken strips like leaving the line because people are snacking on them? Like you never want to go to the theft mindset, but you know, you have to kind of look at each of the different elements that could potentially make up that variance. Uh, and then just try and reduce that one item, you know, keep it simple, have one target, um, you know, give one target to one sous chef, one target to another sous chef. And then at the end of the week, just talk about it. And maybe they didn't find the answer. Maybe they didn't lower it. Um, but, you know, keep that going until you figure out what the cause of those variances are and then move on to the next item and then move on to the next item. Um, that, that's how I would uh, personally attack that. It doesn't always have to be the chef's responsibility in that case. Um, you know, it's really important to um, give those objectives and goals to some of your newer management team, um, you know, the ones that are aspirational, that want to become a chef one day. And just say, find out the, what's happening here and let us know. And a lot of people will take that and run with it. Just, yeah. just finding individual items and, uh, um, you know, giving it to your, your junior managers and, and then having them go and try and figure out what uh, the reason for those variances are. Now, turning to the customer facing elements, what sort of impact then does this have on, you know, the customer? If we're able to, you know, make this, make this progress in the kitchen, you know, we're, we're tightening up, say, on our, our variances. What's the impact on the guest experience then, you know, from, from a customer point of view? I think the biggest one um, is uh, menu price, uh, not reduction, but um, stagnation. And we need that for a little while. I think, uh, especially in North America, I'm not quite sure about the UK, but um, menu prices are astronomical right now. You know, uh, uh, a plate of chicken wings in a lot of restaurants now is at $20, right? Whereas... Five years ago, it was you know twelve to fourteen dollars. Yeah. That's just an, an astronomical rise in uh, menu prices, and we're seeing the um, result of that being that you know average guest check is high, which is great, and that's the only thing that's saving revenue. But you know, in a lot of places, covers have declined by twelve to fifteen percent because people just can't afford to go out to dinner anymore, or their frequency is reduced significantly. So, uh, you know, when it comes to something like food cost variance, I mean. Um, for most operators, the goal is to maintain the same margin or improve the margin that they, uh, you know, that they've always had, right? Um, but because of cost inflation and labor inflation, that margin has been reduced significantly. So they try and counteract that with menu pricing. Uh, if you're able to reduce your food cost variance, it'll bring down your overall food uh, food cost percentage significantly. Uh, and what that can do is is uh, subsidize some of those uh, margin declines that um, you know are, are caused by cost inflation right so you, you don't have to m increase menu prices and, and that's been actually something that I've been really trying to uh, you know communicate about is that menu prices at this point in time should be the very last thing that you're doing because everybody is hurting for money um, you know it's feeling very recessionary in in North America right now so if you can you know, try and find that margin within your labor and within your food cost. That, and I'll continue to preach that as long as I can because it's so important. I think if the more that we can do to not impact the customer side right now is, mm -hmm. it's really important because, you know, mm -hmm. as you say, we're seeing the reduction in people coming. And to be honest, raising menu prices is probably the easy way out. Yes. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of hard work in you know controlling your costs it's you know 
almost easy to increase your, your prices, but the detriment then is actually, are you going to put people off from coming to your restaurant? Are you going to drive them somewhere else? And then, you know, when costs do settle down, do they stay, you know, go into a different restaurant rather than yours? So there's a lot of, a lot to be said about making sure that that, that increase in the menu pricing is the very last thing, the last resort almost that you have to turn to, especially when there's so many inefficiencies that can be straightened out behind the scenes. Couldn't agree more. It's, it's been a tactic that we've been able to utilize as an industry for decades because we've always had that demand, right? But, um, you know, turndowns in economy, in, in, in the economy always result in um, inefficient players, unfortunately, not being able to survive, right? And what's happening is the inefficient players right now are only able to counteract these um, cost inflations through menu price increases because they just don't have the structure and the technology and the data in place to be able to do anything else. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really actually something that I'm passionate about is trying to save a lot of these mom and pop restaurants or multi-unit restaurants that are going out of business just by saying like, hey, wait, don't go out a bit. Like I, if you can just hold on for another month or two, let's just put this technology in place and it'll help in a big way. And uh, in a lot of cases, that, that, that does help significantly. A lot of the times, it's just that awareness. Similarly, as we were talking about the kitchen there, where we are talking about that, having that awareness of those, the, the food cost variances. As soon as you can give someone, you can quantify what's going on by, like you say, putting the software in place that helps them to, to see that bigger picture, it gives them that little bit of hope. And, you know, nine times out of 10, and, you know, I've got a client that, was very close to closing the doors the back end of last year. But just by giving them an insight or an encouragement in some way, you just get through that rough patch. And, you know, yes, there are possibilities. There are opportunities beyond that. So sticking with the theme of guest experience, customer experience, how can we use data then to personalize what our guests you know, how they experience interacting with our restaurants because, you know, it's a big thing now when, you know, you see it on social media when a restaurant or a food business is able to offer an element of personalization. How can we do that? How can we implement the data or integrate the data into to our operation to allow us to personalize that experience for them? So I'll, I'll start off um, by answering that question with uh, the best player in that game, which is uh, Disney Parks. I don't know if you've been to uh, Disneyland in, in California or Disney World in Florida, um, but they, they're incredible, right? And, and, and they have a, um, a new app, and I've been writing about this quite a bit, uh, called Genie Plus. And, um, you know, it, you can do all of your purchases through Genie Plus. You know, you, you sign up for an account, you get all your tickets through Genie Plus, you get onto all the rides through Genie Plus. But what happens in the back end, like it's very useful for the customer, but on the back end, Disney has a ton of information on you. The fact that you have your payment details included in the app means that they know everything about you that's, you know, us, um, you know uh, available through any census data, uh, as far as your income level, where you live, all of that sort of stuff, right? Your marital status, all of that. Um, not only that, now they have a complete list of all the purchases that you've done. Uh, where you've gone, how long you spend in the park, how frequently you come. All of that information can be compiled into um, 
you know, a, a marketing uh, program that can cu completely customize the way that they communicate with you, which sounds bad because it sounds sort of scammy, but also like the way that you experience the park, right? If they know that, you know, you are someone who would regularly want to stop in and get, you know, a uh, pop for you and your kids halfway through the day, that's information that they can, uh, you know, where they can tap into your historical purchasing patterns and help you with those, uh, you know, to indicate, hey, there's this pop stand right by you or whatever. So it does, I think, it, it help the guest experience. But really quickly, when it comes to the average restaurant and what we can utilize, I think one really good example is the, uh, you know, online delivery space. Because uh, now, again, they've got your payment details, they've got all of your past purchases in there. And I don't know how often you use it, but I use DoorDash, you know, once every couple of weeks. And um, when I go in there, it'll show me what my past purchase was at, you know, the Japanese food place uh, or the sushi place that I, you know, get my orders from. And that's super helpful because now I can come in and basically just reorder my previous order and I don't have to go through and look through the whole thing. So it's improved my guest experience and I didn't really ask for it to do that. It's just an inherent portion or part of the, the service. I think... We have to be mindful, don't we, of of making sure that where we do personalize, the focus is on guest experience. We're not, yes, it's going to drive revenue, potentially, but the focus on the personalization needs to be on that overall experience, doesn't it? We don't want to be, as you said, vent verging into sort of spammy area where we're, you know, hounding people with quote unquote personalized offers, say. We need to make sure it's it complements the pattern of what they've you know how they've interacted with us in the past. Where is the line there though? Is there any way that we can guide people and say actually this is too far, or you know this is something that is generally well received by guests and customers? You know, it's a really interesting question, and I think the way that I've always approached that question. Um, is thinking about how I like to be interacted with. You know, I think for a lot of, of, of us, both on the marketing side, the data side, the ownership side, executive side, you know, we're just normal everyday people who happen to just be involved in the hospitality business, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, when I'm walking through a mall, uh, you know, to go buy my kids some new shoes for school, I don't want my phone pinging every time I pass, you know, uh, whatever, a, a clothing store to say, come on in, we've got 10% off, you know, that's not for me, that's for them, right? So I think that's probably the, the frame that I, I would be looking at how to make these decisions is like, think about how this can truly make the guest experience better, truly make it better, not because it's cool, because there's a ton of marketing tools now uh, where when I walk by a McDonald's, it'll ping me on my phone and say, come on in and get a smoothie or something, you know, like, I don't want that. Uh, I, I don't think the majority of people want that. Um, but there are going to be ways where you can utilize data effectively um, to make it more helpful for the client. And one, one really quick example would be like a business lunch. So if somehow in the system they were able to determine that I'm a realtor and I take clients out for lunch all the time, um, you know, that sort of personalization in the messaging would be very helpful. Hey, Derek, we know that you uh, take clients out for business lunches. So we'd like to offer you a, you know, a corporate card uh, where you can come in and, you know, feel like a big wig because you flash this card and you get 10% off everybody's meal or something like that. Right. 
Like that to me now adds value to the guest. It shows them that you're listening uh, and it will help you receive their business and increase frequency. It's about, it's about aligning it with the, uh, well, it's marketing 101, isn't it? It's about aligning what you do with the goals, the hopes, the challenges of your target customer. And when we are, as you say, you know, if you're getting a ping every time you walk past somewhere, it's almost that in my book as well, it's almost on, it's virgin on spammy. But if it's something that is helping your target customer, you know, your avatar, you know, if you've got three or four of them, taking your example of the realtor there, if it helps them or makes their life easier, whether it's to make it easy to meet more clients, that's going to work. It's not mm-hmm. going to work if you're just bombarding them saying, come to my restaurant, come to my restaurant. No one wants that anymore. No, no. Yeah, it's, it's so important. A really quick example. I, I remember with one group, we, uh, we made like five, $600,000 off of this one program. Uh, it had to do with gift cards. And uh, all we did was collect gift card data uh, and customer information one year. And then the next year, what we did was called those exact same customers and said, hey, um, we know that you purchased this for your company last year. Um, what we'd love to do is offer you a program where, you know, for every uh, five gift cards you get, you get one gift card for free, right? Um, and it's simple. And yes, it is utilizing data, not advanced data, but holy smokes, did that work, right? People were so glad that we called them uh, and offered that. And uh, it built the program into this huge, huge program, um, way bigger than it was before. Is little things can can blow into you know huge opportunities for businesses. Now, not that we've got a crystal ball, not that you can give a business a crystal ball, but if we're starting to look at you know the future of what lies ahead for us as business, and you know the last three four years has probably taught look that far ahead because it changes so quickly. Yeah. But what? How can we use data then in our industry and in hospitality to navigate? change or you know at least prepare us for what's coming in the future that, that's such a uh, that's such an awesome question because this, this is like the thing that i'm like most excited about um i think the reason why the restaurant industry is so behind other industries is because unlike other industries we don't have uh you know let's say 20 big businesses like in the mining industry you know they've got 20 to 50 big businesses that control the whole market, well, they've got all the capacity in the world to be able to hire on analysts, hire on teams of people to, to go through all the data. You know, for uh, the restaurant industry in North America, more than half of the uh, restaurants are just single unit mom and pop shops. Like they can't hire an analyst. They don't have the capacity for that, right? So I, I think the biggest opportunity uh, when it comes to data in the restaurant space is um, uh, AI. And I know this is going to just sound totally cliche because everybody talks about it, but I'll just explain what I mean by that. So um, the majority of the data that's available in the restaurant space is what we call descriptive data. It's just historical data to show you what you did last week or the last year or whatever. Um, but typically it comes in like a table format. And that table is like something where like you download it and then you have to like try and filter through it and aggregate it and then try and get some insight. And it's very difficult. So a lot of people just don't do it. If your data is set up correctly, some of the tools that you'll likely see within the next five years are going to include things like uh, natural language query, right? Uh, nat- natural language reporting. 
So something where, uh, you know, eventually a tool like R365 will have something where, you know, you can basically have a query bar and you say, hey, what are the three things that I should focus on from a labor perspective next week? You know, um, and then it says, oh, focus on, you know, service labor, um, focus on bartender labor and focus on whatever, uh, prep labor, right? And you say, okay, those are going to be my focuses and that automatically gets synced now with targets, right? Um I think that type of technology is on the verge of being created. There's a, you know, a lot of fun things that I can't talk about in the pipeline, but um, it's going to be tremendously helpful for the average mom and pop shop because it'll be an in-house analyst that you essentially don't have to pay for. Um, but in order to get to that space, your data needs to be uh, organized correctly. And I think that's a huge opportunity for most mom and pops is just, Start now. You have to start now. You have to get the what we call data governance, which is like an ugly term and boring, whatever. But all it means is just make sure you're using the same method for putting data into your systems and just keep it clean. Keep your house clean so that when this data comes out or this these tools come out, which they will very soon, uh, you are in a, a position to be able to utilize them. It's, a, you know, even when as humans, we're trying to look at data, if we're looking at data that's, you know, inaccurate it's actually you know you could probably be making making the situation worse by making a decision on on inaccurate data so cost wise then for someone would the, is this something that's going to be affordable in the grand scheme of things for you know as you call mom and pop restaurants you know as as it relates to natural language generation i mean it's fairly new technology but the the yeah. interesting part about it is that from a variable cost standpoint, there's not a lot of variable cost associated to it, right? It's just data processing. Um, you know, that being said, like any licensing cost for someone like R365 would be fairly significant to have that technology. So they need to subsidize that through, you know, monthly fee. The nice part is though, for the restaurant industry is that the majority of our uh, software that's available to us uh, comes in a licensing format. So monthly fees, right? I can't see anyone being able to charge more than, you know, $100 a month for a technology mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Well, $100 a month is significantly less expensive than hiring a $75,000 a year data analyst, right? So, you know, even if it was 100 or even if it was $200 a month, but you can ask questions about your data and receive, you know, curated um, responses with tactical decision making, what we would call um, prescriptive uh, data, uh, man, that's worth so much money to the restaurant, right? So whatever the pricing scheme, uh, like the, the pricing scheme is uh, for the restaurant, it'll be based on value proposition and not based on like uh, uh, cost plus, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the world of AI is, is mind blowing. I think it's still got a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of way to go, but certainly when we're talking about interrogating data, like there's so much power there. And like you say, with with generative AI, where it's you're able to ask it questions like you would a person, it's going to give us a huge, huge advantage over, you know, the current situation. Now, obviously, to take advantage of that, as you said, you've got to have your data sorted and in order accurate where does someone start if they're if they're sitting there listening to this and going yeah my 
my my financials, my data is not where it should be. Where do they need to start? What's the first step that they need to do to get on that road to making sure that they are in order by the time this comes around to take advantage of it? Well, I think most operators, uh, the, the, the data that they prefer to look at the most is uh, revenue covers an average check, which would sit within your POS uh, data set, right? So um, if that's the case, you know, you know, get, I, sh- I should say given that, um, I would say the best place to start is to go into your POS system and make sure the way that you're categorizing your menu items is how you want to have it categorized moving forward and make it scalable, right? You know, I'll go in and I'll look at um, some clients' back office systems and they've got, you know, 55 different menu categories. Well, that doesn't really help, right? If you've got 110 items in 55 menu categories, like it, it, it's not really because what you want to be able to see, you know, when it comes to average check, our average check is down. Well, why? Well, it's because pizza increased, but the average check associated to pizzas is a lot lower than entrees, right? So then you can start to get some really valuable feedback there. So I would say start with your POS, go in, make sure that your menu items are cleaned up so that any of them that are not currently active on your menu um, are deactivated in your POS system. Um, you know, get your uh, menu categories organized properly, get your PLUs organized properly. Um, and that doesn't really take a lot of uh, intelligent, like uh, very um, complex work. What it is, it's just work, right? It's just, you just have to do it. It's going to take you five, 10 hours. You got to work with the chef to make it happen. But when you're done, you're going to have a very nice, you know, neat POS, like back office system that can then be integrated with other systems, including what we're talking about in the AI space. And, and, then, and then you just replicate that same thing in the labor space, in the food cost space. Go in, clean it up, make sure the categories are where they want, uh, you want them. You know, in the labor space, make sure that your job categories are, the, are labeled the way that you want them. And then just, just have a plan and say, anytime we're adding this, it can only go into these spaces. And this is the type of governance that we need around these systems, right? And in terms of, you know, once we get to that point and we, you know, you talk about maintenance, what do we need to do? What do we need to look out for in, you know, as a business to make sure that we can keep on top of that? Like, for example, staff training, what do we need to be doing to make sure that the data stays quality data and doesn't then drift into, you know, back to where we were before we spent all this time and effort to get the data up to date? I think that the number one tactic that I would use in that regard is um, we talked about this before as far as giving your junior managers roles, right? So I have to answer this in two different ways because there's multi-unit groups that have accountants and Mm -hmm. sometimes data analysts that can monitor data governance, right? Um, But for, you know, let's say one to five unit restaurant groups that don't have that, that, uh, those types of positions, um, I would find someone in your business that is eager, you know, is aspiring to be a general manager within your business and say, hey, listen, we really appreciate your skill set. We can see that you're a little bit more technologically savvy. We would love it if you could help us uh, keep the back office systems organized. Right. So, you know, on top of all the kind of day to day things, we'll make sure that we give you, uh, you know, four hours a week or two hours a week to make sure our back office system is tight, is organized um, and the word I use is interconnected. So if I'm using a job code in our labor system, like seven shifts, and it says, you know, server, but then in our POS system, we're using the word service, 
you know, it's just kind of like that sort of like little data governance that's, you know, important to just look out for and, and try and um, stay on top of. I love that because it's, you know, you're trying to find someone pulling on their passion, serving their strength as well, which is from a leadership point of view is great. Keeps them motivated. It shows them that you're listening as well and you're aware of what they're interested in. So absolutely, I'd advocate for doing that all day long if that's what, you know, if businesses need to find. Same with social media, and I'll just drift into that for a second. Keep finding people who are interested in doing it and are capable and are passionate about it already. It makes your job a million times easier. Now, shifting to books now, and, and again, it's something I ask every guest about particular books that have impacted whether it's professionally or just personally whether it's industry related is there any book that stands out for you or even a book that you would suggest around data that could really help people what's what's something that people should turn to um you know there's there's a lot of really good books in the data field but they're kind of uh nerdy and dry and uh, i think it would scare people away from uh data analytics before they even start um but I think the most powerful book that I've read recently that I kind of wish every client that I work with uh, reads before, you know, I, I, I work with them uh, is uh, Simon Sinek's um, uh, Start With Why. Um, I, I think that it's powerful in so many ways, but uh, specifically as it relates to data, um, any re- take any restaurant. They, if they've been around for a year, they, they've literally got millions of points of data in their system. And it's very easy to, uh, to, you know, get into the curious space when it comes to data, but then you just burn hours, right? Um, so whenever I'm working with a, um, a new group, the question I always ask them is like, what do you want? Like, what question are you trying to answer? And why are you trying to answer that? Let's start with why, and then let's move from there, Right. Because if they say, I want to look at our average guest check uh, over the last year and a half, and I want it detailed by day, you know, then I say, well, why? What are you trying to answer, right? If you're trying to answer, you know, how your average guest check profile has changed year over year over year, there's a way that we can visualize that where it's way more effective, right? Mm. So, um, yeah, I I think it's a very powerful book. Yeah, it's a a very... A very powerful concept as well of starting with why and you're right it gives people that drive and they actually understand people are more motivated when they know the real reason why they want to do something and mm-hmm. you know sharpens the mind because you know, too often people will chase their tail trying to achieve something actually they're going in the opposite direction because they didn't clarify why they were wanting to do something and then you can't you can't measure up whether it's whether it's relevant to to monitor that you know whether it's a metric or whatever it is so yeah and like i say it's on this bookshelf behind me as well it's it's i think it's just up here somewhere there yeah so it's yeah it's a great book and recommend it i you know likewise recommend it to pretty much everyone i speak to it's that one so derek how where where can people find you where can we reach out to you connect with you and potentially even explore what you've got to offer businesses? I, I would say that the, the best place to check out, you know, the messages that I have and how, you know, I'm trying to help restaurants uh, and hotels is, is uh, through LinkedIn. LinkedIn is such a great space. You know, I, I try and post every day and 
Um, some of it's, you know, sort of nerdy data talk, but then other, uh, other bits, I really try and make sure that, uh, you know, it's, it's highly useful, uh, and, um, yeah, it's, it's just content that people can connect with. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my personal profile is the best one, just Derek Smith. Um, but yeah, canopy metrics is, is, uh, my business. So I also have uh, a website, uh, canopymetrics.ca. Um, and I've actually, you know, thanks to, uh, Sean Walshaf, I've, I've gotten into the TikTok space as well a little bit, um, which has been interesting, but, uh, I really like that format. It's kind of fun. Uh, and I'd say the last thing too, I would highly recommend, um, anybody who's interested in this type of, uh, uh, information in the restaurant space or these types of opportunities. I've got a, um, newsletter called tech to table on LinkedIn. Um, and you know, I, I don't care if I have three people on there, if I have 10,000, right? It's, it's just an area where I try and post ideas that I think are full. So um, that would be probably another good option as well. Yeah. I was just going to drop in your, your newsletter because it, it gives you that insight of what's possible. And it's, you know, it's especially when we don't ordinarily operate in that sphere as an industry, you know, as operators anyway, it gives you a good insight into what you could be doing that could be benefiting, mm -hmm. you know, most businesses out there. Listen, Derek, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. We've been battling with that connectivity issue as well, which has not made things easy, but it's been a great conversation. I think there's a lot to take from this for people in terms of where they need to be as a business. And, and certainly if you are listening to this and you're not where you want to be, go and find Derek on LinkedIn because, you know, we need, certainly in this space, you need to be connecting with someone who can, who knows what they're talking about, who's been there, who's helped businesses before, because it's so much easier. And, you know, like I say, Derek, I've seen your content. You know what you're talking about. I wouldn't have you on the podcast if you didn't know what you're talking about. So listen, thank you for, so much for coming on and sharing your insight, your knowledge, your experience with us at the Hospitality Leadership Podcast. I really appreciate uh, being on here and I'm looking forward to many more episodes, Andy. It was a lot of fun.